now I'm just, I just want to figure out who I'm talking to. Like my goal wasn't to sell anything. And then uh, the biggest what if hit me and it changed everything. This is the Sales Bible Podcast, episode 303, Mental Triggers for Sales Success, an interview with Matt Hallisey. Welcome to Sales Babble, the podcast that shares selling secrets for non-sellers. And now your host, Pat Helmers. Hello, Sales Babblers. This is Pat Helmers. And first off, I want to thank you for taking a moment to listen this week. I know you have lots of other alternatives. In fact, they're becoming even more so with all the new podcasts this year. And in fact, I'm a part of that by helping others start podcasts with Abonero Media. So I appreciate you choosing Sales Babble today. We've got a great guest at a topic with Matt Hallisey. Matt's going to share a story about how he was a failure at prospecting. Then he moved on to become a failure at a call center, only to turn that around and become a successful sales manager by understanding the buyer's mental triggers. A terrific topic and relevant to all sales babblers. Now make sure and listen all the way to the end for Craig Klein's sales nexus sales tip. Know what to ask. Really great stuff. And now, with no further ado, let's get to it. Welcome, Matt. Are you ready to babble? I am ready to babble. You're in San Diego today, right? One of my favorite cities. It is. It is. I'm very lucky to live here. You're an interesting person because you say that you have an alternative way of looking at traditional sales training. That's why I wanted to have you here on the Sales Bible Podcast what's your alternative way of looking at selling? Really selling is, it's kind of a backwards word. You know, people, the way I always looked at it is uh, people are oppositional by nature. So when you try to impose something on somebody, they're going to resist you to the death. So, and in selling, it's typically one of those things where I look, looked at where if you're trying to sell somebody, nobody likes to be sold. Everybody loves to buy. So, if you could restructure things where you're not selling them, but you're more tapping into people's natural proclivities, uh, the results you're going to have are going to be way different. So what do you mean by that? Naturing into their, you know, pushing into their natural proclivities. What are those natural proclivities? Well, you know, we get inundated all day. It doesn't matter if we're in sales or we're not in sales. We get inundated by people selling us. We could open up our email and see all these offers. We could get I get hit up with telemarketing calls nonstop throughout oh, the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You go through a shopping center, and there's all these people trying to hawk you things. So our natural proclivity is to be on the defensive all the time. And there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of really good salespeople out there that have great products, great intentions, and they're great people to have in your life. But, you know, when you're getting bombarded left and right by people trying to sell you things, a lot of times we don't give them a chance. And so as a salesperson, when you come up to them and you have something to offer, you're not offering it in a vacuum. You're one of the 9,000 people offering that person something in a given day. And so all they're going to do is follow their subconscious mind, and they're just going to treat you like the other 8,999 people and not give you a chance if you fall into the same pattern that these other people do. But if we were to break the pattern and do something completely different, then we're not going to be treated that way because we're not approaching them that way. So what's a different way of approaching this? 
Well, I think we have to reset our paradigm. So, you know, for me, when I would, the first time that I was ever in a contact center environment, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I literally was calling people and I looked at everybody around me. I figured everybody else was good at their job. So I just tried to mimic what they did. And what would happen is people just never gave me a shot. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do is I backed up and I just said, look, I want to figure out kind of what, what are these people doing? Like when I call them, they're not sitting by the phone anxiously waiting. <laughs> no, to call not at me. all. Not at all. <laughs> no, they're doing any number of things. I'm, I'm interrupting their binge watching. They could be taking care of kids. They could be driving in their car. I mean, they could be doing any number of things. I'm really the last person they want to talk to. So really what I need to do is I need to approach them in the same way that I would approach you if we were just we're friends and hanging out. Um, but I, more than anything, I need to break that pattern. So, and it, and it really depends. I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but it really depends on the nature of, you know, what kind of sales job you have and what environment you are. But if you're going to have a different result, you don't want to get looped in with all the other people and the way that they're treated and the way that responded to, you have to break that pattern. You have to talk differently. You have to have a different intention in your mindset. Uh, you really do have to have a goal where the object of that conversation is not to move them forward in a sales process, but to have a, a conversation that's just going to have them treat you as a normal human being. I like this. So the intention is different. Yeah, I think, you know, it, um, we'll get into a little bit of the backstory, but um, there's a concept that I was introduced to. It was called OBM. It's called an outcome-based mindset. And in other words, if you have an intention and you judge the outcome of a situation solely by its mindset, it just really scrambles your brain. You're so concerned on winning, on getting something, on succeeding, that if you don't get it, you view that situation you're in as a win-lose situation. And really, you make it about yourself. And the thing is, people are really smart. They get that. Even if it's on an intuitive level, people are going to people are going to fully understand if the conversation that you're having with them is about furthering your own personal goals at their expense. But if you make a decision to strip that out of your mind and say, look, I, my goal is not to get the sale. My goal is to learn something about them or have them, you know, have them laugh at one of my stupid jokes, or it could be something else like that where it's not about me, but really it's about them. It's about me discovering something about them or, you know, we're not going to have the sales being part of my quote OBM, then things change. Then things really change. You know, when we're desperate, we act differently. When we need something, and I, and for me, the word need is a dirty word. When you need something, you behave differently. But when you want something or you're just curious about something, you tend to relax and you tend to be more of yourself. People pick up on that intuitively. Yeah. And they generally are going to engage with you in a, in a deeper conversation. I like that because people do have desires and aspirations for something better in their life. And they're excited about that. We commonly in selling talk about fear, right? Addressing fear. And probably maybe over half, you know, two thirds of the reasons people buy something because they're afraid they're going to lose something or they want it. But, it's, but there's a lot to be said for for working that other side of the coin. Yeah. And I, and I think part of it is in the end, I think you bring up a really good point. Both people are probably afraid. 
the question is who is more afraid? Oh. And you know, when I led a sales team and I trust me, I was never good at sales before I got to a point where they let me run a sales team. <laughs> I just happened to use this, the, the, the background that I do. And so one of the things that I would tell them is I'm like, and I didn't frame it in the sense of fear, but I said, when two people are talking, one of them is going to be influenced and one of them is going to be influencer. It's your decision to make a decision to, to, to decide which one that's going to be. And when it comes to fear, it's the same thing. You know, if you're playing in a big football game or a basketball game, both teams are nervous, but the team with more to lose is generally going to lose. But if you're going in there playing with house money, you're relaxed. It doesn't really matter if we win. You know, it doesn't matter if we lose this one game. It's not the end of the world. You tend to slow down a little bit and you tend to behave a little bit better. You're not going to make that big mistake. And a lot of times in sales, and I don't speak about others, I speak about my old self. When I would go into a sales encounter, I was always worried about, okay, what if this person doesn't call me back? What if I don't get my next sale? What if I miss my goal this week? What if my manager calls me in for that meeting? I have all these other dialogues going through my mind when I'm talking in, to somebody who honestly could really benefit from having me in their life. But I'm so not present because I'm concerned about all the things that I lose. I'm scared that, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work out, if they if they blow off the appointment or something happens and I don't get the sale, now I'm at square one again and I've wasted all this time. <laughs> it's like the person that I'm talking to isn't even talking to me. They're talking to a cacophony of voices that are all petrified of each other. I think we've done a good job of kind of like setting up the situation. <laughs> Of what, yeah, of the foundation well, of of weak selling. Well, we never talk about it, but it's it's one of those things where everybody goes through it. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah, and I never knew about it until I just thought about it one day, and I realized, wow, and I was the biggest offender on that. Until you know what the what the illness is, you can't really cure it. So maybe you can walk us through what is the sales process that you're recommending. Well, my process was totally different, so. I never was good at sales. My first job I ever had out of college, and I don't think I told you this, Pat, I, I never sold one thing. <laughs> My biggest accomplishment in that job was that I lasted three months. And from that point on, it didn't get a whole lot better. <laughs> you know, if you had to fast forward a number of years and said, yeah, I'm going to be the, the guest on the sales battle. What were you trying to sell? Oh, gosh, home improvements. I sold door. Well, I didn't. I tried to sell doors, windows, siding, roofs, that type of thing. Oh, right, right, right. But right. I walked out of every house empty-handed. And uh, it was a commission job, so I was working for free. <laughs> so after that, I had a number. I, I didn't really stay in that industry, obviously, but I went to a number of different industries. I was in finance and banking and I didn't really do much better. I was just, honestly, I was the white knuckler. I was the blue collar guy. I, I was going to work harder and longer than anybody else, not because it was a virtue. It's because I had to, and I would barely make my goals. And so fast forward, I ended up leaving that industry. Um, this was back in 2006. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Ended up with this tech startup in their contact center and I liked the company, don't get me wrong, but I'd never worked in a contact center. And so they basically said, every week you're going to climb a cliff. We're not going to give you any leads. Uh, you're going to need to call 300 plus people a day. 
and you're gonna have to figure it out, <laughs> you know. And I looked around, and I saw all these people doing that, and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna do what I always did. I'm gonna try to find the best person in the company. I'm gonna see what they're doing, and I'm literally gonna try to mimic it, which is totally being fit. I mean, it's just, it's not, it never works long term. So I ended up doing that. I had a script that they used, and that script I used, I thought this is gonna be great. I'm gonna sh- totally shortcut this. And nobody called me back. Nobody. Zero. And it was at a point where I was just, I literally just said to myself, I balled up this, crumpled up the sheet of paper, balled it up and said, you know what? I could just wing it and do better. And so. I almost want to stop you here though. So it sounds like, if you don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, no, go for it. It sounds like you've had, you had a number of sales jobs and you were constantly striking out, constantly striking out, but you kept stepping up to the bat. How come? I'm a very competitive person. I mean, I don't like losing, you know, a part of it is, and I, if I see other people winning, I always like to think that I can, I can either figure out a smarter way to win or I don't know. I mean, part of it is I never had that massive success. So I just, I guess I was used to just struggling. I didn't know that I would, that I could be really good at anything. And so you're kind of, you kind of set your expectations right in that little sphere that this is just what I do. And, you know, I love the company too. I wanted to stay at the company. The culture there was amazing, Uh, but I needed to figure that out. And I would see people succeeding. So I knew it was possible. It's not like they were asking me to turn lead into gold, although it seemed like that some days, (laughs) but for me, it was just like, all right, I want to figure out a way to do it. And there was a, like, there would be a personal pride if I was able to figure something out because I did that. You know what I mean? And so I ended up just leaving these voicemails. And then one time I left this voicemail and I literally just hung up the phone really quick and I go, oh my gosh, that sounds really good. And I wrote it out as best as I could remember it. And over the next month I spent trying to refine it and I got it to where it was almost perfect. And at this point, I was getting a 50% callback because we keep track of all our numbers. So everything you do, you have to note down. And I was I was running a 50% callback rate. So if I left 30 phone calls, I got 15 calls back. But you never get that number of calls because when you're getting 15 calls back, you don't have time to call people. And and at that point in time, I was like, all right, well, now I'm just, I just want to figure out who I'm talking to. Like my goal wasn't to sell anything. I was so new at my job. So I was just trying to figure out who these people were. And then the biggest what if hit me and it changed everything. So the backstory on this was I, I actually got invited. It was kind of an underground thing. I got invited into this group here in San Diego, but they never were picking up girls. They actually would get the girl to pick you up. So you never actually walked up to a girl and got shot down. It never happened. But we would do things, we would basically work on kind of personal development and other things that that you would genuinely get rid of all the fears, the worries, the inferiorities, and the insecurities that we have. And you'd get to have a really strong personal view of yourself. And it's not arrogance, but it's like, I know what I can offer that most guys probably can't. All these other guys are buying drinks, and I know we're taking a left turn here, but this is where it turned. All these guys were buying drinks and doing everything possible to try to get this girl's number. And then we were the only people who weren't. But we were doing things to, to kind of demonstrate value to the girl 
And the girl would end up always coming and talking to us and then giving us her, her number, et cetera. So that was kind of the backstory. So when I was on the phone, I was listening to these people and I'm like, the way they're responding to me is exactly the same way that the girls that I would see out responded to the typical guy. And then I said to myself, gosh, what would it, what if I just completely ditched everything I learned about sales and like training and just did what I did outside of work and just, you know, I wasn't selling anything. And at first I thought, well, there's no way that's going to work. Like that's stupid. That's crazy. But as I started to think about it, like it actually started to make sense. And so I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And the first week I started doing it, I was number two on my team of 15 people, which that never happened. And within a couple months, I was in the top five in the company. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it. People would come up to me and they're like, what are you doing? I would have VPs coming up to me and, and I'm thinking like, I don't even like, this is crazy. Like the only reason this is working, I can't tell you it because there's no way you'd believe me if I told you. So one of the things that I realized is that the single women that we would talk to, they would go out and they would constantly be hit on by guys all the time. They'd, and a number of things, you'd see it coming a mile away. Um, you kind of get old of, of, of just really running into low value guys. You know they have an ulterior motive in everything they're doing, and it's not to know you as a person. So it kind of gets tiring. But on the back end, they have an aspiration that they want to meet a guy who's very high quality. But they're so used to, to being inundated by the same person that they just don't give you half a chance. But if you actually break that pattern and can actually show you that you're not like all the other people out there, they, they actually don't know what to do because their subconscious mind kind of takes care of it, all of the reactions normally. And so I would do that and basically got to a point where I'm in an inbound, I'm an outbound telemarketer in a sense. And I would have the person saying, okay, Matt, that's great. How do I sign up? <laughs> and that, you know, and I just realized, wow, that really works. And so fast forward a number of months, they ended up promoting me and so I'm running the sales team and I'm thinking I am the worst qualified person to do this job. I've never been good in sales. The only reason I'm good at it is because I happen to be doing this one thing that I uniquely know how to do from outside of work. And I thought, well, the only way this is going to work is I need to teach these people something. Now, I'm not going to teach them everything, but I'm going to teach them just a very rough foundation on this. And I don't know even know if it's going to work. So I did that. And within, gosh, two to three months, we had the number two team. And that's when I knew I had something. And it's not like I said, okay, I'm going to go out and start this business. That, that didn't happen for years. But it was one of these things where I realized I really have something here. Like I don't have to burn out my staff to, to get good numbers. I don't have to get them worried about numbers. I don't have to talk about numbers all the time. I just have to have them talk about themselves, like my own staff. Like, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? I could sense superiority or stress on people. And my goal wasn't to push numbers, but just to get them back to their normal, awesome self. And so what I do in my business is exactly that. I, most of my clients are people who, and if this is you and you're listening, if, if people, when you tell them what you do, they immediately stereotype you, that is my perfect client. Because what I do is I can actually get reframe everything you're doing. And instead of having you try to 
overcome the, the stereotype that they've given you, I can actually help pre-program the person you're talking to so that they actually don't even, they don't treat you like everybody else. And at that point, they don't even know how to treat you. So at that point, you actually get to reprogram the way that they view you. And when that happens, you don't get objections because there's no reason to give you an objection. You're not pushing things. You're not reminding them of all the other aggressive, hard sellers out there. And realistically, your motive is not to make the sale. So their instinct is not to give you an objection. So what is your process? So what's the process that you're using? Well, part of it is it's there's a little bit it's kind of like the military. It's there's a little bit of deprogramming first. So it's not like you can walk in day one and have this immediate change. But I have this thing that I taught my staff. It's kind of like a financial statement. So if if people are good with math, you'll get it. But on a financial statement, you have revenues and then you have expenses. And at the end, you're either profitable or you're in the red. So the revenues are what you tell people about yourself. I have a great product. Uh, we have a great warranty. I'm, I give great service. I'm here if you need me. All the great things we want to tell people. But the expenses are the things we don't want to tell people. These are your fears, your worries, your inferiorities, and your insecurities. And so when we're talking to somebody, we're telling them on one hand, this is really great, but we have all this self-sabotage happening inside of ourselves that really counters the message. And it's almost like Virgo, like they're going to see these two countervailing method or messages and it's just going to give them vertigo. And that's usually when they're like, okay, I need to go. But in the end, you're either going to have that profit or a loss. And so one of the things that I do early on is I teach people really how to, how to address the fallacy of these fears, these worries, these inferiorities and insecurities. And like you said, it's a matter of who has the greater fear. You know, these people, if we have a product that generally benefits people, they have way more to lose than we do. Because if they miss out not only on a product, but if we are as great as we think we are and we really believe in ourselves and they miss out on that, they have no clue what they're missing out on. You know, we can go talk to another person and replace them if we need to, but they're never going to get another one of us. And so really it's, it's deprogramming and really identifying and stripping out that those those four saboteurs as I like to call them and at that point we talk about mental triggers and there's some subconscious mental triggers that all of us respond to and there I actually have one term that I have and we talk about the top 14 of them but I'll give you a couple just to give you an idea people have natural subconscious shortcuts because we can't make decisions on every tiny little thing in our life all the time but when we see certain things, our brain naturally is inclined to react in a certain way. One of them is called social proof. And what basically that means is that when you see a group of people behaving in a certain way, you're generally going to make the same decision because you don't want to seem like an outlier. So if I choose product A and everybody else is choosing product B, A blows up in my face, I'm going to look stupid. <laughs> So you generally pick product just to make sure that you are within kind of a groupthink mentality. Now, if product B fails, then everybody sucks, right? Everybody's in a bad spot, but you don't want to be in a position of looking like an idiot. So people generally follow the herd. So there's things that I show you how to do within sales that actually can spur that mental trigger out. The other one is authority. 
So when you see somebody on TV and you see them in a white jacket, they're not doctors, they're an actor. <laughs> but they're wearing the white jacket because everybody trusts a guy in a white jacket giving medical advice. So what can you do in sales to really spur that authority? And, and it's beyond the depth of this interview, but there's things that I teach people how to do that will immediately make them the authority figure. One of them I'll just give you is, is, is give workshops. So if you're an insurance agent, instead of trying to sell people insurance all day, if you can talk about really the biggest five ways to avoid overpaying insurance and you give a workshop at your local bank or church or community group, all of a sudden now you're an authority figure where the guy who works right next to you in your same office is the guy who's the salesperson. So there's 14 of these that I work with my, my people on to really spur that mental trigger to view you in a positive way instead of following the herd and trying to sell people where you all get treated the same way. So one of them is celebrity. So I'll give you an example. I have, everybody has to go to the doctor at some point and I am the biggest person who, who responds to this mental trigger of celebrity. So people love being around celebrities. When you see one, you wanna get their autograph, you wanna selfie with them. You wanna be associated with them in one way, shape or form. That's why celebrity endorsements are really huge because you can literally sell a 10 multiple of your product just by having a celebrity endorsement. Right. You have Instagram influencers that do this all day. So one of the things that you can do is actually tap into that and have people and basically tie your product in to some type of celebrity environment. I like it. How can uh, people find you online? A uh, couple ways. You can find me on my website, uh, salescheatcode.com. I'm also on typically on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I do not have a LinkedIn profile because I'm not really using that for, for my business right now. Uh, but if you'd like to give me a ring personally, I actually, my number uh, will be listed in the show notes. You can definitely reach out. Also, you can reach out to me via email, which is matt at salescheatcode.com. And I, I didn't want to forget this. Uh, you actually, you, you actually have something you want to give away to the Sales Babble listeners. I'm looking at right right now here. It's this big long URL. Yeah, yeah. So for me, like I really, I want to. I knew the transformation that I had and how it changed everything in my life, and not just work, but sports and relationships and just everything. So um, I really want to give you, you uh, your audience, a deal that I do not have open to the general public. So when you click on the link in the show notes, you're going to get free access to my voicemail cheat code program. Basically, this is where I walk you through step by step how to how I design and how you can design a voicemail that, in my experience, has a 50% callback rate. So this is normally I have offered for, I don't know, it's close to $50, but it, literally I have a freebie link in there. When you click on that, you can get it for free. All right. Sounds great. Well, Matt, thank you very much for babbling here on Sales Babble. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm definitely a babbler in my own life. Welcome back, Craig. Are you ready to babble a sales nexus sales tip? I am ready. So what's this week's tip? This week's tip is know what to ask. Know what to ask. Sounds good. Yeah. You got to walk in prepared with questions. You can't just make it up as you go because you're going to get off track. 
And worst of all, the one thing we all hate, it just feels so uncomfortable, is that awkward, silent moment during a meeting with a customer, right? Where there's just nothing obvious to say next. They're not talking and you're not sure what to say. Don't let that happen. Yeah. Plus, you want them all the talking. So have a script of questions. You don't have to read off the script, of course, but just be prepared. In fact, the pro tip that we offer to our clients is make your CRM your guide to these questions. Put the put fields to enter the answers to these questions right on the front screen so that when you're on the phone with a customer, you got your phone in one hand and a mouse in the other, and you can point and click and number one, know what to ask. And number two, enter the answers just by hitting a checkbox. I love that because when you're doing a sales call, you should have your CRM in front of you up and running. Absolutely. Love it. So how can people find the sales tip online, Craig? Just go to salesnexus.com slash sales. And there you can get a PDF with all of the sales babble sales tips. And you can all get a copy of our four steps to market domination guide. Good stuff. Good stuff, Craig. Can't wait for next week's tip. See you then. We'll see you next week. You can find Matt's 14 mental triggers in the show notes at www.salesbabble.com slash 303, plus Craig Klein's sales tips and other episodes that talk about cold calling. Don't you know that one of the best ways to learn about a podcast is from referrals, which is also true in sales, by the way. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Just last week, Demish Frazier said, Pat is a fantastic podcaster. I have more downloaded podcasts from him than anyone else. Wow, that's great. Thank you very much, Demish. Really appreciate it. Well, this wraps up this episode. So until next week, take care and have a highly successful and profitable selling day. Thank you for listening to the Sales Babble podcast. Find us at www.salesbabble.com. This is a production of Abenero Media.